Hey, everybody, and welcome to the iFreak Show. This week on our panel, we have James Zuber. Hello from New York City. I'm Andrew Madsen, also in New York City. Uh, we have a special guest today, uh, Casey Uwenhut. Can you tell, your, tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Casey. I'm a program manager on the .NET and Visual Studio team at Microsoft, uh, specifically working on Roslyn, which we'll probably talk about later. Uh, originally from Louisville, Kentucky, so woohoo, go Cards. Uh, yeah, and I've been at Microsoft for about two years, almost two and a half. Cool. Thanks for coming on. We, I know um, when we were talking to you about being on the show, there was a little bit of worry that, oh, what you work on is not particularly relevant to iOS developers. Um, and I still wanted to talk to you, partly because I saw you at the keynote yesterday, and I thought you seemed like you would be a fun person to have on. <laughs> Thank um, you. But also uh, because you work on something that's a pretty core part of um, Microsoft's .NET, uh, you know, whole .NET infrastructure, a really core part of Visual Studio. You work on some of the really cool stuff in Visual Studio that's enabled by that. And um, I like these kind of technical topics. So could you maybe just start by giving us an overview of, you know, what Roslyn is, what that really enables, why it's important to Microsoft at a, sure. at a real high level? Yeah. So Roslyn is a code name for the long marketing-ish name is the .NET compiler platform. Uh, and it's basically a project we started about eight, nine years ago where we decided to completely re-architecture the C Sharp and Visual Basic compiler from native code into managed code. Uh, and there were like two main reasons we did it. The first was it's going to let us write features faster. So by having a managed code, we could write language features faster. So for example, C Sharp 6 came out like a year ago, and now a year later, C Sharp 7 is ready, uh, which never would have been possible on the old compiler. And then also we can write new IDE features way faster because we put this API surface on the top, where now we can write all these tools way faster. So what, what did you have before, before Roslyn was a thing? What was the compiler for C Sharp? Well, it was like written in C++, and it had just like grown over the years. Uh, and it had just become something that was like so hard to add to and figure out when people moved around. They had to like learn the new thing, but there wasn't this clear uh, API surface on top of it to build like refactoring tools, for example. So when you talk about managed code, what, what is managed code? Today's episode of iFreaks is sponsored by Setup, the revolutionary new suite of hand-picked apps and utilities for Mac. Setup is changing the way we think of apps. There is no store, just a folder on your Mac with over 60 premium apps. There are no hidden costs, just a flat monthly fee of $9.99, giving you complete access to the entire library. If you sign up at setup.com today for one month, you can try out the full Setup experience for free. If you aren't satisfied after one month, you have no obligation to pay. Setup, now you're all set. Tools, for example. So when you talk about managed code, what, what is managed code? Uh, managed code is means we have a garbage collector and things okay. like that, so you don't have to like malloc and all that. Okay. So managed means not C and yeah. C++, right? <laughs> and you don't have to like worry about stuff. Um, when you're doing like game development stuff, you have to worry about the allocations and stuff you do and how much time you're spending in the GC, but uh, other than that, you don't really have okay. to. Okay, so it's like a different level between the actual bits and bytes that you can run in your machine and your language. Like yes. our, our, develop, our, our listeners are maybe Swift developers, which gets compiled to actually to byte code. So, well, uh, Swift gets compiled to, a, to, to machine code. Machine code, sorry. Yeah, you're, you're but right, when you're but writing regular Swift, you're not, it's, it's, it's ARC, so it's not garbage collection. And our listeners all know this pretty much. But imagine when you use unsafe mutable pointer everywhere in your Swift code, which hopefully you don't, but that's like unmanaged code, uh -huh. right? Um, so you talked about some of the advantages that provides. It, it basically makes the compiler easier to work on. Right. right. And then, yeah, we provided the API surface on top of it. So the whole thing's open source. But now we have this API surface that's like made so you could actually write these things. So we have like the syntax tree API. We have uh, the semantic model API on top of it. And through these things, anyone can now write a code analysis tool or like a code generation tool or whatever they want. So like the one thing that we are really like working on, we think it's like the future are Roslyn analyzers. So that lets you write your own custom code analysis. So you so write your own refactoring or whatever. So you and, and you're using this. I mean, Rosalind, when you so you start a new project in Visual Studio, you write some C sharp, you hit build, 
the Rosalind compiler is the thing taking your C sharp and turning it into, I guess it's CLR code. I don't know that much about it. It goes C-sharp, IL, right? yeah, but yeah, or, okay, yeah. intermediate language bytecode yeah. essentially. Um, and there's a VM of some sort that runs it. I don't actually have to build in Visual Studio before the compiler kicks in. So, oh, so that's that's so that's what I was going to say. But it's yeah. it's the compiler that is creating binaries when you're yes. shipping an app. But it sounds like it's also all the time being used to do things like, you know, they sh- showed some really cool stuff on stage. I actually can't remember maybe it was your demo, but the, the live unit testing stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was like, knows demo, what's yeah. going on with your code all the time, which seemed really cool. Right. Yeah. So we used Roslyn for that to figure out what tests are impacted by different code changes. So we only have to run those tests. So, because like if you have a huge project and you're rerunning all the tests all the time, that would take a huge amount of time and resources on your machine. Uh, but so with Roslyn, we can be a little bit smarter about figuring out how things are connected. It seemed like you fixed that bug by, I can't remember exactly, but writing a, you know, filling out a method or writing a method that was missing or something like that. And then the test just started passing. Mm-hmm. The ID was smart enough to figure yeah. out what changed. Only it's not rebuilding the whole project or something, right. running tests. It yep. just found that part that changed mm-hmm. and reran the tests that were impacted. It was all super cool. Um, yeah. So, uh, my 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 next question was going to be: This is obviously great for Microsoft. It's great for Visual Studio. But why did Microsoft decide to open source Roslyn? Who else is using it? Who else cares about it? Yeah. So actually, when we started thinking about even building Roslyn to begin with, we wanted to open source it from the get go because the whole thing is that you can now write these smart code focused tools. And it's like, how can you expect someone to write like a code gen tool if they don't know how the compiler actually works? So if you like keep it as like we call it like the black box of the compiler, how can you really expect them to be able to write tools that really, really know C Sharp and Visual Basic and how they work? Uh, so the goal was to make it open source from the get-go, but we had to like wait for a more friendly environment internally towards open source to yeah, actually well, do it. Now Microsoft seems to love open source. Yeah, so, so it's now it's way easier. Right <laughs> yeah. It seems like you're kind of in a, you're kind of the underground mode before like things change in Microsoft. You know, they yeah, wanted th- to do it, but like upper, the higher-ups maybe weren't on board. Right, so I was not around. I've only been around in the Satya Nadella era. Um, but from my coworkers and what they've said, it seems like you know it's been completely like 180 yeah. on like, the internal culture with all these things. From a long-time Apple fan and Apple developer that's on the outside that has not used Microsoft stuff a lot for, for a long time, it certainly seems like that from the outside. Like, right. Microsoft's a different company. Than <laughs> I like to think that Swift went open source because we right. did. Yeah. But well, you know, it's. I hope Apple is making similar changes. I mean, yeah. they are because Swift right. is open source and, and whatever. But but I, yeah. I I'm glad that it's a, a turning into an industry wide thing. Right. It seems to be like the future of development right now. Yeah. So yeah. It's pretty exciting. So. Uh, but so it sounds like a lot of people have done this, written written tools. Yeah. So before we acquired Xamarin, they like wrote their own scripting engine on top of Roslyn. They use it to do their own code analysis inside of Xamarin Studio. Uh, and then we've had tons of people just write little tools all over the place. And a lot of people write their own refactorings and code analysis tools inside Visual Studio. So in my demo, that's where like you type and you see like this red yeah. squiggles or green squiggles or the pink dots that are indicating like errors, warnings, or suggestions in your code. So that's like where the code analysis comes in. So it's like for as you're typing, you can get live feedback on where you're going to break your code or how you can fix it or where refactorings are available. And you never have to build yeah, that, to get that feedback. Cool. I wish I had that for for Swift code. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I think there's a lot of areas where iOS developers, Xcode developers have envy of you know, the power of Visual Studio and mm-hmm. Rosin helps to increase that. You know, So what type of tools are people are, are creating? Uh, I mean, it seems like Microsoft's starting to build a lot of the coolest stuff into Visual Studio, which is great, but there's got to be other stuff out there too, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know. I Like, so people have built uh, different code generators. People, again, the scripting engine was something they built. I'm trying to think, of, like, they have different, like, small kind of, like, REPL environments that people have oh, built yeah. on it. I believe Xamarin Workbooks is built on top of Roslyn. Um, if you know what that is, it's kind yeah. of like, it's kind of like iPython notebooks, 
but for well, our .NET. we would say it's like Swift Playgrounds. Oh, yeah, or like Swift Playground, exactly, <laughs> yeah. yes. But, uh, um, yes, I actually, I don't know, maybe it was mentioned quickly in the keynote or something yesterday, but I didn't see, I don't, I don't remember hearing a lot about it, but I, I actually have seen people in my Twitter feed who are Apple people mostly uh, talking about Xamarin workbooks, and yeah. it, it seems really cool. Yeah, like, they're like awesome. Swift Playgrounds for, for, for C Sharp, for .NET languages. I right, assume. yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to try them out. Those, I, playgrounds, I mean, one of the things that's been great about Swift Playgrounds, about... Uh, you mentioned IPython notebooks. Um, this idea of being able to write code and see the results and not have to go through, you know, they're really easy to create. You hit file new, you create one, you type in some code and you just see the results. Very easy to get started. I think they're really a great way to learn a language too. Right. So. Yeah, that's actually the first thing I worked on when I joined the team is I had to make, it's called C Sharp Interactive and it's basically our version of a C Sharp REPL cool. or the redevelop print loop. You've so. had, there's been a REPL in Visual Studio for, for a while. Right? No, it oh. was just in Visual Studio 2015. So oh, the okay. last release okay. was, well, we had one like before, and then we took it out, and then we reworked it with Roslyn, and then we finally put that one in in 2015. Is, is Roslyn cross-platform, or is it? Yes, it is cross-platform now. Mm -hmm. So is that um, is that what's being used for Xamarin on Mac, for example? Uh, uh, I'm not totally sure if they've totally moved over. If they're still using, I'm pretty sure they still use Mono for their runtime. I believe they use the Roslyn compiler now. Oh, I don't cool. know if they've totally ported it over yeah, yet or not. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, I still have lots of questions. Monopolizing, <laughs> so. so we get a lot of talk about you know, server stuff, Azure, mobile, but there's also other components, small, getting more embedded stuff where .NET is running. Is that mm -hmm. is Roslyn involved with that too? Like, uh, like uh, .NET running cross-platform everywhere with like .NET Core and things like that? I think, yeah, when I was in Atlanta for Ignite, there was a lot of talk about the IoT, um, more, oh, embedded, yeah. mm -hmm. more, more embedded level devices. Uh, yeah, so basically, yeah, Roslyn is the compiler that is working in all of those things. Okay. Yeah, and actually it was like the open source community helped us a lot in doing that because a lot of us hadn't used like Linux since we were like in high school. <laughs> so I was like, oh, how do we test on Linux again? So yeah, that was a real experience. Well, but, Microsoft's yeah. on the Linux foundation now, so it's time. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> Got to get it back into it. Uh, is, is, we've talked a lot about C Sharp. Is Ros Roslyn's the compiler for all .NET languages? Just uh, no, just C Sharp and Visual Basic. Oh. So there's a shared component between the two languages and then it goes off into the specific parts for one for C Sharp and one for VB. Oh, okay. Um, F Sharp has its own. Oh, okay. And F Sharp okay. is, is pretty like community run as well. Oh, like we have a internal like team that works on it as well, but it's largely like, community based. Oh, interesting. Is that, but mm -hmm. it's, an, it's an open source compiler too? Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it was open source way before yeah. we were. So. Can't be very community based yeah. if it's not. Uh, well, that's that's really interesting. I, I um. I think the fact that is oh, oh that's one more question I had is Rosalind written in so I, I assume it's got to be written in C sharp it's yeah written, and then the VB the VB, VB well some of the the VB parts I believe are all written in VB oh interesting but the shared component is in C sharp can you imagine writing a compiler in VB I can't but that's like, <laughs> I, I can't I don't think so but, the worst part is having to write it in the past version of the language to get oh, to the new one right so it's like oh self, like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah apparently when we uh, made async await so you do asynchronous programming writing yeah. that without it was like a disaster. <laughs> Well, not but a disaster, but like hard. Right? We gotta do it. So. Yeah, you gotta but they're like, but they went back and they're like, oh, we could make this so much better now that we have it. Actually, <laughs> we just had an async await. We could write async await. It'd just be fantastic, you know. <laughs> yeah. So the Roslyn compiler compiles itself. Yes. Yeah. That's what our first test on Linux right. was to compile the compiler with yeah, itself. Cool. Yeah. Uh, the Swift compiler does not compile itself. It's, oh, really? It's written in C plus plus, so uh, I can't. And someday, someday they talk about Microsoft <laughs> is setting someday. the bar here. I don't know. <laughs> the Swift's brand new language, so we can't blame them, right? Yeah. It, it, quite a challenge, I think, to write a language that is also being used to write the compiler for that language from the very beginning. So certainly yeah. it seems like the easier thing to do what sounds like Microsoft did, which is start one way and then become right. self-hosting later. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder, I, 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 uh, I wonder kind of 
if Roslyn, I mean, I, I want to know basically what does Roslyn mean for the future at Microsoft? It's obviously a big enough project that Microsoft, you know, put, put resources into it. Is it really just about the tooling in Visual Studio? Or is there sort of this broader, you know, this is, it's, it's better for developers at Microsoft? I, I'm just kind of wondering what... Right, right. So I guess it's like a multi-pronged strategy. So it lets us write features faster for Visual Studio, which is like how we make money. Um, but also, uh, for example, it powers the OmniSharp project. I don't know if you heard of OmniSharp. Uh-huh. It's basically what runs the language services in VS Code. Um, and so that is all powered by Roslyn. And then so like I think the main, uh, or at least what I think the vision is, is that we're basically a compiler is going to move around with the language services. So no matter what IDE you're in, it's going to carry those language services with it. So you'll always get the same colorization with C Sharp no matter what editor you're in. You'll always get the same IntelliSense or the code completion um, no matter what editor you're in because they travel together. I think that's really like the grand vision. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that, make, for it. that makes sense. And this is something, you know, Visual Studio Code, uh, I, I didn't even really think about it. I didn't realize that Rosalind was part of that. But you know, It was I mean, part of the C Sharp extension for it. Oh, yeah. okay. okay. Yeah. yeah, and actually Microsoft talked about yesterday, somebody talked about in the keynote, how Visual, Studios, Visual Studio Code's support for C Sharp is actually via an extension mm-hmm, that's yeah. not baked in in the sense that it's special. Right. It's, it's an mm-hmm. extension. Um, that's pretty cool to see to see Microsoft expanding their tooling beyond uh, beyond Windows because for a long time, all of this cool stuff that was in Visual Studio, you really only could get on Windows. Right, on Windows. And I actually, I worked at a company where we had a very small company where we had a team doing Mac and iOS development and a team doing .NET development, Windows desktop, and also server-side stuff in .NET. And I must say, it was it was. I would often want to read C sharp code that they had written, you know, because they were working on a feature on Windows that I was going to work on on the Mac. And you know, and occasionally I would even make small contributions to the Windows code base, and I couldn't really do that very well from the Mac, right? Like I'd <laughs> yeah. start up a VM, I'd run Visual Studio, even just I had tried to configure, I don't know, Sublime Text or something to be pretty good at C sharp, but it was not great. And so I, I, to me, it's just exciting that Microsoft is expanding the tooling for some of this uh, cool stuff that was formerly Windows only to, right. to, to mm-hmm. other platforms. And it seems like Roslyn is, is actually a big part of making that yeah. pretty feasible, mm-hmm. right? Um, I wonder uh, if you would be, we, we talked about this a little bit with David, and um, but I think we could go deeper. He seemed like he was probably less of a, I mean, he, he knew plenty, but less of a language sort of person. I, uh-huh. I kind of like to talk about some C-sharp stuff. If sure. You feel I'm like not the C-sharp designer, but I can oh, probably sure, but answer most of your you questions. Yeah. more C-sharp than I do, because I know <laughs> zero. <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I, we talked about async await a little, and we talked about link a little, but I'm kind of, maybe maybe the way to start this is, you know, what are, what, what are your favorite things about C-sharp? What, why do you think C-sharp is, is a cool uh, well, I guess I came from a C and Java background, and so learning C Sharp was super easy coming from that. Uh, and then the generics are really easy. In so, there. so tell us about that. Swift has generics. Our listeners all kind of know what generics are. I mean, if they don't know, they they use them because they're in the standard library. But uh, what what's cool about C Sharp's generic system? Uh, First off, C Sharp generics work correctly. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's like mainly like what everyone talks about. Like, oh, we did generics right. And so whatever you want. Well, I don't know what that means, except every time I've tried to use generics in my own code, well, not every time, but I often am like, oh, man, this is not really going to work out the way I want it to work out. But it's, so, yeah, but, but it's C Sharp. This episode is brought to you by DailyDrip.com. Daily Drip makes keeping up to date on programming skills easier. You already know how much time it takes to find good resources and learn new languages. What if the hard part of that was already done for you? Sign up for Daily Drip and pick a topic that you want to learn about. Want to learn Swift? How about React Native? Or maybe you just want to brush up on CSS and HTML. Every weekday you'll get a short video or reading delivered to you via email. The best part is it only takes five minutes a day. 
We have a special coupon just for iFreaks listeners. If you sign up using the coupon code iFreaks as one word, you'll save $9 on your first month, which means that you can try out the Swift topic for free. Don't forget to use the coupon code iFreaks to show your support for our podcast. Make learning part of your daily routine with dailydrip.com. The way I want it to work out, but so yeah, but C sharp, how, how are they different than the? Uh, so I don't really know the nitty gritty and how exactly it's different, other than we learned from Java's mistakes apparently okay. and so, made it much easier to actually write your own types to go into generics. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So they have like a list of T, and then you can put whatever type you want into T. And this must be something that's like also throughout .NET. You know, it's, it's C sharp. Yeah. Used so throughout .NET, right? Yeah. And so it's like integrated with the runtime as well. So you ha- some language features you have to get like the runtime support in order to get them in. Interesting. Yeah. So like one thing we're considering is being able to split arrays. Because we don't have that, like being able to get a like segment of an array, and we need the runtime support to do that. Oh, interesting. Um, so that's like future. So right now you have to just like create a new array, iterate through, and copy copy yeah. stuff out or something like that. Well, or like, yeah, the extension for it basically does that. Okay, yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, what uh, can you tell us anything about C Sharp? I think version seven. Yeah, is seven of... is what's coming in Visual Studio twenty seventeen. So it'll be the compiler that's or the version of it that's what, shipped. What are then. you? What's the new cool stuff? Uh, so it's it's inspired by uh, working with data uh-huh. is like the theme of this release. Uh, so we're going to have tuples in there. So we never had tuples before. Switch is ahead on something. Swift. <laughs> also, Swift is very like functional kind of yeah. programming-ish. And so that's a lot of the stuff. Like C Sharp 7 is very like embracing of uh, functional oh, concepts. So we're having tuples, pattern matching. Oh, yeah. It's not like real pattern matching. It's more like, I think we call it type matching now or something. Um, well, I'm... But eventually it's going to evolve into more like functional pattern matching kind of look and feel. Um, we have local functions, which basically means if you have a helper method that you only ever call once, you can now nest it inside of the primary method. But with a name. So it's different than a, than a Lambda. Cause it's right, like right, right. Yeah, Lambda is anonymous. Yeah. yeah. This one has like an actual name. Yeah. Yeah, and cool. you just nest inside, which that one's pretty contentious because people are like, why would you even do that? Well, it's funny. Swift actually has this too. Oh, really? And I don't know if I've ever used it for anything I'd, real. I probably have, but it's not... Crucial in most cases. Yeah, it's, it's like yeah. a nice. It can make your code. I think it yeah. can make your code. It makes your code a little nicer. more readable because yeah. you can like hide these little things away, so they're not like polluting right. things. And like the other thing is, we design the language with the tooling in mind. Uh-huh. So it'd be like if you are typing uh, inside that class, you won't have that helper method and all the things in it like showing up in your code completion because you nested it inside, so you mm-hmm. can't even access it. So it's kind of like those little oh, things. Oh right, okay, yeah. yeah. So if if your code is structured well using some of these features, then that will actually help the IDE help you. Right, exactly. Yeah, and that's like one of the, that was one of the benefits of async await because a lot of people had the the diagonalization right. of their code. Like we call that in, the pyramid of doom. Yeah, the pyramid <laughs> of doom, like whatever you want to call yeah. it. And so with that, you know, don't have that in your code anymore. Because like if you think of it from a tooling perspective, that is super unreadable right. for mm-hmm. someone because you can't have your IDE go start, across like yeah, screens. Having, like, especially with know, multiple things. If you're calling doing three or four things in a process, that's right. where you get like, you know, callback, you know, help. Yeah, I know. Like, when I was playing around Node, it's like, whew. Man, I teach people, and uh, students are pretty bad about Swift code. That's just, psh, yeah, I know you could read. <laughs> so, one thing I'm interested in with Roslyn is how do you design the interface that other developers can work with to create these kind of tools? Uh, it's like, what are the specific like APIs and stuff that yeah, we're APIs, creating? Yeah, how do you create the hooks? Uh, so the different like APIs are available. Like, we have like the syntax tree API, which is like the highest fidelity representation of your code. So that's like includes all the white space and all these other tokens and trivia that mm-hmm. are really important if you're writing like a refactoring where you need to preserve all the white space. Right. For example, then we have like the semantic model that lets you like from the syntax tree, you can query the semantic model to get more semantic information, like okay. what type like, is what, this parameter, what, what's the name of this parameter, things like that. Okay. Um, that model for most things works really well, but it's kind of like a double-edged sword because we have 
different things in the language have different shapes and forms. So like you can initialize an array in two different ways, for example. And so if you wanted to write a code analysis tool that was looking for these array creations, uh, you'd have to look for the different shapes, mm -hmm. um, which is like more work on your part. Uh, right. So we have an in-progress API that we're working on now called iOperation, which is an interface that abstracts over that, like sits on top of the syntax tree and is more, uh, is basically provides semantic information right on top of an, like an abstract version mm -hmm. of the syntax tree okay, so like to one, make it easier for those things. One application would be like a code formatter. So your team's gone through this work mm -hmm. fighting over where every brace, every space goes. Right. And you can go through and just automatically change things. Yeah. So like, for example, we wrote our own code formatter that basically any PR that you submit to our repo will run on that. Cool. Um, and then reformat it to fit our formatting rules. Okay, is that in Visual Studio now? Uh, no, it's just we integrated it with like our CI and things. Okay, um, so if you submit code to it to an open source project, yeah, that's what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Pull request. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that I I would again would love to have that. Again, I teach people and I'd love to be able to like, enforce. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that's that's like things. the big thing we're working on in Visual Studio 2017 is code style enforcement and formatting enforcement and configuration. Yeah. So that because a lot of people say like they work on open source projects, uh, they have certain rules and they really want their code base to be consistent and readable, so it's easier for new people to come on board right. and learn it. Uh, and so they like really want to be able to enforce all this stuff. So. Yeah, I am a code style stickler. You know, yeah. I've been the one on previous teams that has been like, hey guys, we need a, <laughs> we need a code style and yeah. then wrote the thing. To We're working to extend editor config to do it. That's so it's just cool. like a text file that you can just pass around with your repos everywhere. And then oh, nice. inside the so editor. So it goes in the repo. Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah. a lot of the stuff like refactoring, this is stuff that most people got Visual Studio and got a ReSharper extension. Right. That. So it sounds like you're doing a lot of things that they had been doing. Are they... Going out and doing like even more crazy things with with Roslyn. Uh, I hope so. Okay. Also, <laughs> well, so Resharper doesn't actually use Roslyn. Okay. They wrote their own, uh, basically shadow okay. compiler, uh, for it. But yeah, we've had a lot of customers saying, "Oh, we want X, Y, and Z feature built in the box because uh, we like can guarantee performance and stuff like that because that's our job." Um, but yeah, the exciting part is now that we're improving the baseline experience inside Visual Studio, like the third-party ecosystem can build even cooler mm -hmm. stuff now. Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's also something to be said for. Extensions are great and all. Being able to have somebody, you know, a new team member download Visual Studio, that's it. They've got everything they need to work the way you're working and not have mm -hmm. to, like, get right. all this other stuff. I think that's pretty valuable. Yeah, we had a lot of customers say that the onboarding process was so hard for them because they have to install all these third-party extensions. Then they would have, like, Word documents or OneNotes that had all their, like, team formatting and style mm -hmm. guides in them and no one would follow them. Right. And they have all this other stuff they have to do and then wait for Visual Studio download forever and all this right. stuff. So that's why we have, like, more in-the-box features to help with that. We have the code style configuration Enforcement, so you don't have to have all these Word docs and stuff to share around. Uh, and then we made the install experience like way faster. So yeah. that's true. When I was doing that, not work. If I had to switch to a new team or a new client, it was like a day getting like everything. Set, yeah, it know? takes a lot of time. <laughs> well, I was impressed um, yesterday. I, I've said this a couple times before, but I was impressed yesterday by how many of the demos were uh, emphasizing that this these these features in not not just the Visual Studio tooling stuff that I think you work on, but um, also like deploying and you know getting set up with with mobile app center and whatever was like three clicks or something like mm -hmm. you're, you're making this stuff really easy to use um i kind of wondered about the, the the testing uh stuff that you showed because that's i it may be different in the net world certainly in the ios world even this many years later um unit testing is not something that a lot of developers do or they don't do it very well yeah uh and partly that has been because i think there's a perception that there's a barrier to entry i think this is a lot less true than it, than it has been in the past but it's like, well, I don't really know how to write tests. Like, you got to do all this stuff. You used to have to, Xcode didn't really have good unit testing stuff built in, so you'd have to download some third-party library and blah, blah, blah. I'm kind of curious to know what you do in Visual Studio to make that really easy. Because I think making the barrier to entry for testing really low is important to make 
make it so developers actually do right. Right. Yeah. So uh, anytime you talk about testing, it's like super, uh, everyone has different opinions on how you test, whether you do TDD or not, et cetera. Um, Yeah. So the way that we kind of think about it is a lot of people say they want to do it, but then don't do it. So we're trying to make it, again, like you said, lower the barrier to entry to this. So we're trying to make it so you can like, you know, write your own custom templates for like tests. So a lot of different companies have like, we write tests exactly like this. So you just give them like the base code snippet that they can always put in for that kind of thing. Um, with the live unit testing I showed, that is supposed to, like a lot of people look at unit testing as their entry point for debugging. So that's how they figure out what went wrong. They write a unit test and then from there they can debug that and then step through to figure out why it's failing. Um, so that's like one way of doing it. But yeah, the whole thing with unit testing is the biggest problem when I interviewed a bunch of customers about how they unit test today, they say like the, the tension they have is choosing which tests to run to minimize the amount of time they have to oh, wait, but like maximize the possible correctness of it. Yeah, so they don't want to run the whole suite of tests. <laughs> yeah, like if I run the whole thing, it'll take 10 minutes. It's wasting my time. Yeah. Uh, but they're like, but I don't know exactly which ones to run, but like this is probably good enough and it'll take only two minutes, so I'm going to do it. And then it turns out when you run the whole thing that they didn't capture all cases and then things failed. And so that's what live unit testing is supposed to like remove all of that thinking for you. So you're just working on your project as if you didn't care about unit tests except that they're happening all the time. Right. And, and thought, then you can see what's not covered yeah, by tests right. as so, well. So, so I thought like, that wow. was cool because that would, um, you know, that makes it pretty clear that, hey, this code that you just wrote is not being, is not part of a test path. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's cool stuff. Yeah, so we're trying to make it easier. And then like it's sort of gamified in a way where like if everything turns green, then you feel better about yourself and it means yeah. you're covered, you're passing. Like, uh, and so that is like some of the feedback that we've gotten cool. on that. Oh, it definitely so. is because you've got, Say you write a bunch of tests. You got twenty failing tests, and you write one line of code. Three of them pass. And you're like, yes, you know. So it's uh-huh. definitely a definitely a gamified experience where you can stay in the zone. Like I just want, the, I want, I just want all these things green. Right. You know, then I can move on to something else or mm-hmm. like quit. Versus, oh, what's on the what's on the onion? You know. I mean, yeah. yeah. The thing is, like, so it's really great if you do do TDD because you can kind of have that like everything fails, and then as you implement it, you start to see everything turn green, and it's like really great. But a lot of people say they do TDD and they don't really do it. Yeah. Um, but so with the other benefit of it is you can like make major code changes and then see if it breaks anything that you have, like any of your right. tests automatically. So like, that's what I was trying to show in the demo where like, I could delete an entire constructor and see that it like, didn't matter. Um, oh, right. yeah, yeah. So you showed that there was some unused code. You found out that the only place that was being called was from a test. So then you can right. that, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. It. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so yeah, a lot of people are like really nervous to do like really big refactorings. Uh, and so this just gives you that extra validation that it, it really did work. Uh, and yeah. you didn't break anything when you did a big rename, for example. Well, that's one of the big values, I think, with tests. I mean, there's, there's the idea that you write some tests I mean, you, you write, you, you, ch- you change something, you add a new feature, you try to fix a bug, tests help you make sure you didn't break something else. But they yeah. also make it so that you can be confident that when you do a big refactoring that everything still works the way it right. used to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's like a big movement now to like, you were kind of hinting about earlier that the whole like development process, the feedback loop is like not very good. And so you can see like in Visual Studio 2017, we're trying to like bring a lot of the feedback in your face. Yeah. So you can like immediately see how your unit tests are doing. You can see if your code's going to compile because you can see if there's red squiggles or if you need to refactor in places. Yeah, I think anything companies that are providing tools for developers can do to shorten that time between mm-hmm. writing a line of code and Knowing understanding it's the results of that, yep. whether it's tests or like playgrounds where they mm-hmm. actually show you the output. Um, I think that makes developers more productive. You right. know, coming from having worked on things where you type a line of code, you hit build and run, you wait two minutes, yeah. wait for the app to launch. You mm-hmm. know, and then, uh, that reminds me, like, right. you were asking like, what are cool tools people have built on Roslyn. Uh, there's 
a startup who we actually just bought called Alive, who does like basically without having to debug, they can like walk through. It's like playground basically, where you can like see the values through the for loop as you're oh, stepping cool. or as you like go through, and you can like drag in, in a control studio. in Visual Studio oh, as cool, an extension. Cool. Uh, and then there's a thing called Ozcode that and like enhances debugging completely, so it, it makes like prettier uh, versions of like what your objects look like in classes, so that you can see exactly what the values are in each of them. Interesting stuff like that. Yeah, I, and I, they're I, just all built on Roslyn because we know your code <laughs> yeah. so. uh, i'm glad to see this stuff happening there was a i mean i'm sure you've seen it everybody's seen it but that talk by brett victor a few years mm-hmm. ago yep that's kind of in my mind i don't know but like apple actually said when they came out with playgrounds they, they explicitly said they were inspired by that talk and um, i'm glad to see those ideas whether from that talk or otherwise but those ideas this soon starting to make their way into stuff that people are actually using they always seem so great for like the contrived examples though like for that's drawing right. and games, like that's, it's very easy to see how this right. can apply. And it's yeah. much harder when you're like, I'm an enterprise developer and I work on, you know, True. XYZ. How, how can we shorten that feedback loop yeah. in a way that makes sense for them? Well, uh, I think you're doing some of it. Like the, the um, I'm, not a, I'm not a web developer, not a server-side developer, but some of the stuff showed yesterday where you can so easily do local testing. Mm-hmm. Very easy to get, get your, you know, local server running. And then deploying is two clicks or something mm-hmm. and then it's on Azure and you can right. that's, that, that's part of this same yep. thing right um, and I, I actually so I have used I just want to say I have used playgrounds for real development in real apps and particularly what I found them useful for is writing algorithms because yep. it's much easier to develop an algorithm if you can see yeah if you can see it feedback. yeah and also creating custom UI for an app right yeah you can change colors and yeah that's like the that main one that we find exciting yeah so we have XAML is our basically markup for UI uh and we're working on making, I don't know if you know what edit and continue is, probably not. So there's like a thing in Visual Studio where as you're debugging, uh, like oh. say you realize you made a silly mistake, you can immediately like write and fix the code uh, and it'll just like hot, hot uh, swap it and like the IL for you and it'll just keep running. We used to have that in Xcode. It was called fix and continue. Ah, uh, And yeah. then it was. Oh, they sound familiar. Just, well, this was like <laughs> yeah. 12 years ago or something. Yeah, we've had more. this forever too. But so. then it was too buggy and Apple just took it out. Yeah. yeah. There, there was a, there was a limit of how much you could do. You could change a string. You could change yeah. a variable. If you get too crazy, at least with Visual, even with Visual Studio, I remember when I used it, like if you did something too crazy, then things just went Right, they, yeah. They, they, things went awry. But yeah, there's something there, though. Like your app is always running, and you can make tweaks and see how it's mm-hmm. changing, and especially for like mobile development where you can everything's a page, basically. It's really easy to see yeah. how that would work. Yeah, I mean, the better, again, the shorter you can make that loop. And I think UI is actually, you know, lends itself really well to this because if you're doing UI, you're tweaking Pixel Layout pushing forever. Or, right, yeah, yeah. Or changing colors or changing sizes or something like that. And that certainly seems like the kind of thing that, one, benefits from this quick feedback loop, but also is fairly possible to make that happen from a tooling standpoint. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't know. This is, it's exciting stuff. I'm um, very happy to see Microsoft. Uh, I, I, I don't know the way to put this, but as somebody who spent has spent a long time to be honest, kind of ignoring what Microsoft is doing. I don't use a Windows yeah. machine. I have no <laughs> need to care about what Microsoft uh-huh. is doing. To see them... Um, doing stuff that is cool and not just for Windows people, people mm-hmm. is really nice. You know? yep. And so it's been fun for me to, to see and hear about all this stuff that they're doing that is, you know, whether I'll use it directly or whether it will ho- hopefully incite the competition to right. move the whole industry forward. Yeah, yeah you hope it's, someone inside Apple's, like, the Xcode like, program is like, like, hey, Visual you know, Visual Studio can do this, you know? <laughs> right, like, yeah. Hey, do you, know, you know what they can do over I here? So. Like, right. they yeah. got to be using it because they have iTunes for Windows and whatever else. So yeah, so yeah, that's why it's super exciting to be working at Microsoft right now. It's like right when we open source with everything, run cross platform with everything. So yeah, definitely an exciting time to be around. So yeah, I, I, and and they have people like us come to their 
conferences, which seems like <laughs> unimaginable. Still, people are confused, like, what? I do an Apple I've podcast told, and you're going to Microsoft? Even just family members, I'm going for a Microsoft conference. What the? I'm, like, <laughs> you know, I'm not a Microsoft guy, or at least I was Do wasn't. you own an Xbox, though? I do not own an oh, Xbox. Oh, dang. I've only ever had PlayStation. <laughs> so, dang, the one no, thing I, where I thought you even got yet. I, I did have a Windows XP machine, you know, in 2001. Yeah, that's whatever. a long time ago. <laughs> Back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> So, hey, the know. airport terminal uh, things that show like when your flight's taking off. I saw like one of the screens died and I was showing the Windows 95 uh, oh, wow. banner. Yeah. So I was like, <laughs> hey! <laughs> I had a DOS machine when I was a kid too. So I have some I have some Microsoft experience. But no, I, I'm I'm genuine about this. I think it's really good. It, it's good for me. It's good to see Microsoft uh, making the changes they're making and becoming a cool company that I yeah. care about, you know? Yeah, we're especially excited from like the compiler perspective that like C Sharp, like you can only use on Windows before, yeah. but like... We love the language and other people love the language too. And like now it's actually like realistic for them to use it. it. Right. So that's exciting. Um, is there anything else you think we should, we should, I mean, this has been a pretty free form discussion, but is there anything you think we should definitely cover before we get to the picks and wrap up? Uh, no. I mean, did talk about get like how to teach people languages. Yeah. We could revisit that, but cause that's something like we're struggling with now, but I don't know. Well, actually, okay. So that's great. That's something I'd like to ask you. Um, and it may not be exactly what you're going for, but where I'm coming from, say somebody wants to learn. I know, I know this seems like a silly question because I'm a programmer. I've, uh, you know, I know a few languages, several languages. I, I and I teach people to program mm-hmm. for my job. Right. So I understand well the process of learning a programming language. Uh-huh. And yet, it's daunting to me. I'm like, oh, I would like to try C sharp. Ah, I don't even know where to start. You know. Right. Like. I want something that's pretty easy to get into. So, so maybe what, what's your what's your thought on that? Somebody wants to learn C sharp, even if it's just because they want to see what's cool about that language and learn something about it. How can they? And let's say they're on a Mac. Mm-hmm. That's where I am. How can right. they dive in? <laughs> and, and yeah, so that's that. like a huge problem that we realized we had. We're like, first of all, people have to like learn what .NET is, which is just a scary word. If you even Google .NET, like you get results that like if you're new to programming, for example, you'd be like, like what is this stuff? Like what? Uh, so we are working to like actually try to make it easier to learn C Sharp. So we have the .NET CLI, which is the command line tooling. Uh-huh. So no matter if you're on Linux, Mac, whatever, you can just download uh, this and apt-get or whatever uh, brew. And I, I think is I think it it's brew? brew. I don't oh, know. I hope if, so. It might be pip. Is pip, pip Mac? Pip is Python, oh. but it works on the Mac. Uh, yeah. Is it Brew? I don't remember what Brew it is Brew is like the Mac. Yeah, I know Brew is the Mac one. I don't know if we got in Brew, uh, but it's whatever it is. Um, you can do that. Um, so that's like a command line way to get started, or you can use VS Code. Uh, yeah, so VS Code seems pretty attractive. Yeah. You just download VS Code. So yeah, Code. do VS Code, download the C Sharp extension, and then you pretty much have the basic core development experience that you need to write C Sharp. Um, we also made a scripting version of C Sharp, so you don't have to like learn what a namespace is and worry about those things. So it's so it takes um, away some of the yeah some of the like, like boilerplate, boilerplate that's might yeah. be confusing if you're new. Uh, so you don't have like a static void main and those things either, um, which is really nice. And Swift actually is that way too, which I think is really cool. So you just yeah, open a file and write some code. Yeah, which actually makes hello like hello world, world one right, line yeah. instead of like yeah. ten <laughs> or something. So but what what does Microsoft have any resources? Um, I mean, you're talking about tooling, which is great, but it doesn't right, have yeah. any resources for actually learning the language. Yeah, so we don't even have a language website right now. Uh, I think we just created dot, dot .net, which is a little bit of a confusing website to help w- you get started. W- dot, dot, dot net. <laughs> <laughs> but it's D-O-T. Yeah, D-O-T dot net. Dot net. Yeah, uh, which is just saying that it's confusing. But that's like a good place to get started um, that now we have. Uh, we basically have a task force now within the team that's just focused on writing documentation and like tutorials and walkthroughs to help people who are trying to get started um, on whatever platform you're on uh, and stuff like that. So we're in process of putting a lot of things out there to help people. Uh, But but we should say that .NET is a huge developer community and 
outside of Microsoft. There have got to be thousands of oh, yeah, tutorial websites and books and all kinds yeah, of stuff. Yeah, pretty much if you like Google remote. anything, you should yeah. hopefully now be able to find a lot out there. Yeah, there's tons of books out there if you like, want to learn the language and things like that. Stack Overflow has yeah, almost more .NET questions. Yeah, like John Ski is yeah. like the Stack Overflow dude. And then a lot of our, my team is on Stack Overflow as well, answering all oh, the questions. Cool. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think it's been an interesting discussion. Um, and, and well, Jame and I are foregoing picks because otherwise we'd have to pick too many things between yesterday and today. So, but <laughs> Casey, do you have a, a pick or two for us? Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, well, I'm from Kentucky. So as my Kentucky plug, I strongly recommend going on the bourbon trail where you can go to all the different distilleries for all the different bourbons in Kentucky. If you go to the Maker's Mark one, you can dip whatever you want in the red wax, oh, cool. which is pretty cool. Okay. Good Christmas presents. Your hand um, no, they're all spread out, aren't they? You don't have a yeah, they're all area, spread so out. So, do you, is there a place you start on the bourbon trail, or you just like pick some? Ah, uh, you can just to? like pick any random one, okay. and then go. Yeah, or if you don't want to like drive between them, there's now an urban bourbon trail oh, inside the city oh, yeah. of Louisville, so that one's pretty walkable. Okay, so you don't have to worry about stumbling or driving between places. Cool. Yeah, I guess I'll make that my pick. Nice. There right. <laughs> we go. All right. Well, uh, thanks again, Casey, for coming on. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, see you next week. Thank you. Thanks. Hey, everybody. This is Charles Maxwood. I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about JS Remote Conf. Uh, we just picked speakers. Things are looking really good. And uh, we're really excited to cover a broad range of topics for JavaScript developers. So if you're looking to learn things about Node.js, about becoming a better developer, about deployment, about mobile development, and much more, and much more about JavaScript, then come check us out, jsremoteconf.com. Uh, you can also find it by going to devchat.tv slash conferences and then picking the conference you want. We have last year's recordings there. We have this year's uh, conference coming up. So make sure you get your ticket and we'll see you there.